So when I was thinking about how, what message I wanted to bring, I had a bunch of different thoughts. I was actually writing two different sermons before I fully si- this, uh, before I fully settled onto this one. Um, so today, what we are going to be talking about is idolatry. Now, throughout all of history, people have served false gods. More often than not, when you hear the word idolatry, a lot of people think of golden calves or gods of another religion, such as Buddha or anyone like that. But how often do we realize that idols can be our cell phones? It can be money. It can be a job. It can be anything in our modern America that's not a typical idol. Today we're going to dive, and today we are going to dive into the false gods of our time. Around 1990, there was polls that were sent out, and it showed that more Americans believed in God than ever before. Evangelicals celebrated and said, we're reaching America for Christ. Come on, guys, we're doing it. This is great. They were preparing for a revival to sweep across the nation because the polls said that more people believed in God. But what they didn't realize is the question shifted. It went from, do you believe in God? And the question asked, do you believe in a God, a higher power, or a God-like force in the universe? So rather than saying, hey, are you a Christian? It was, do you believe in anything at all? And so, of course, the polls went up. What was also disturbing about these polls is more people believed in a God or a God-like force, but it had no impact on their life which is absolutely crazy to me because when I think of my God, our religion, I think of all the wonders that he's worked, not through my life, but through the lives of my close loved ones. But this is not the case in the new age Christ or the Jesus of the Islamic lore. A lot of times in our life, we'll see things like that and we'll just think, all right, cool, Jesus. But we must be keenly aware of the false gods of our time. Some of them are so deceptive that we will bid them Godspeed without realizing we're looking a false idol right in our face. Today I would like for us to talk about the subject of idolatry, but not just the idolatry of ancient Israel, but the idolatry that can be in Jeremiah's America. If you have your Bible and want to follow along, we're going to be flipping between Jeremiah 2 and Jeremiah 10. Um, The difference between the idols in Jeremiah and the idols today is Americans, we're not going up to high places and setting altars and doing religious ceremonies. At least most of us aren't. (laughs) But first we're going to look at the idolatry of the Old Testament, then the New Testament, and then the idolatry that we face today. The besetting sin of Israel was idolatry. Sadly, Israel's history is full of spiritual infidelity. The dust of the Exodus had not even settled before the Israelites turned back to worshiping an idol. They had been miraculously delivered from Egypt by the mighty hand of God, but quickly returned to idolatry as soon as their faith was put to the test. Any study of the period of the judges is a study of spiritual infidelity towards God. The Israelites were living in a theocracy with God as their living king, Yet every single generation would rebel against him and turn to idols. There's the same cycle that was repeated over and over again during this time. It started off with they rejected God for false gods. They worshipped idols. God would send an enemy to subject and oppress them. They repented and cried out for God's deliverance. God would send a judge to deliver them. 
and they lived in peace until that judge died. That was the same cycle repeated over and over again. When that judge died, the next generation rebelled, and they began the cycle all over. Now, isn't it hard to believe that people would continue to repeat that cycle? But that's the thing. They didn't. The next generation were the ones that started the cycle all over. When that judge died, the next generation was there. They just followed in their, their parents' footsteps. They would see, hey, we're being tested. Um, uh, let's worship the God of rain because we need our crops to grow. Oh, I don't know what to do for money. Uh, let me just pray and find a job. But it was never praying to God. They would repeat the same cycle and we are never more than a generation away from paganism. Even though there have been many powerful preachers and dynamic churches, America has been moving deeper and deeper into the post-Christian period. And in doing so, we're sinning against a far greater light than those in ancient Israel. Yes, we are not bowing before a golden calf, but we see what happened to them, so we should know better. Judah, the southern kingdom, in spite of all of its great prophets, continuously, continuously flirted with false gods. Since Judah had seen how the Lord dealt with their kinsmen of the north, they refused to obey him. They were sinning against a greater light. They had known revival under Hezekiah and Isaiah and Micah. They had experienced the beginning under King Josiah and Jeremiah, but when Josiah was killed by Pharaoh, the nation continued their love affair with false gods. So now let's look at the false gods in Jeremiah's day. We're going to start in Jeremiah 2, 5. Here's what the Lord says. What fault did your fathers find in me that they went so far from me and they followed worthless idols? They became worthless themselves. They stopped asking, where is the Lord who brought us from the land in Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and ravines, through a land of drought and darkness, a land no one traveled, though where no one lived? I brought you to a fertile land to eat its fruit and bounty, but after you entered, you defiled my land. You made my inheritance detestable. The priests quit asking, where is the Lord? The experts in the law no longer knew me, and the rulers rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied the ball and followed useless idols. Paul was even inspired to write on the folly of idolatry in Romans 1 by saying, professing them to be wise, they became fools. The late J.B. Macbeth says the literal rendering is they were made fools. But what would make fools of them except for Satan? If you are not following the one true God and you're following a false God, it's coming from one person, one direction, and that's going to be Satan. The people of Jeremiah's day rejected the fountain of living water for a broken cistern. If you guys don't know what cisterns are, it's like the jugs that they would use to hold water. So in Jeremiah 2.13, it says, For my people have committed a double evil. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. Those who worship and serve false gods do not do so because they are poor, ignorant savages, no matter how valid we try to make that argument. No matter how hard we want to say, oh, well, we just didn't know any better, that argument can't hold true. 
God sends missionaries to people because we need to hear the message of salvation. God does not look upon idolatry as ignorance, but inequity. When false gods are compared to Yahweh, they come up short every single time. So now, if you are following along, flip, flip over to Jeremiah 10, and we'll start in verse 1. God gives a vivid picture of the folly of idolatry. The only one who has ever been made a fool by the view of importance in this world could possibly see what God says here when he's saying, persist in rejecting the false gods. God says, do not learn the way of the nations or be terrified by the signs in heaven, although the nations are terrified by them, for the custom of the peoples are worthless. Now, you see him switch, and he illustrates the absolute absurdity of idolatry. If someone cuts down a tree from the forest, but it's still worked by the hands of a craftsman with a chisel, no one could possibly state a better case than the creator of what makes a false god. If it is decorated with silver and gold, if it is fastened with hammer and nail so it won't totter over, like scarecrows in a cucumber patch, their idols cannot speak, they must be carried because they cannot walk and do not fear them because they can do no harm and they cannot do any good. So in case you guys missed it, God just kind of roasted all of them. Like, hey, if you guys are making stuff, it's not a God. <laughs> it's like a weird standstill thing in the middle of a cucumber patch. I'd be pretty embarrassed if someone called me a scarecrow in a cucumber patch. But they continued this, and they did not follow him. So now contrast the image of what God says they are to Yahweh, the true and living God. In Jeremiah 10, 6-7, he says, Lord, there is no one like you, for you are great. Your name is great in power. Who should not fear you, O king of the nations? It is what you deserve. For among all the wise people of the nations and among all their kingdom, there is no one like you. Now, whether we're speaking of ancient idols or false gods of our day, here is God's assessment of idolatry in Jeremiah 10, 14 through 16. Everyone is stupid and ignorant. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his carved image, for his crass images are a lie. There is no breath in them. They are worthless and a work to be mocked. At the time of their punishment, they will be destroyed. Jacob's portion is not like these because he is the one who formed all things. That's pretty tough to hear. I mean, when I think of God, a lot of, and I'm sure a lot of you guys will think of a loving, merciful, just God. Not someone who's calling us out saying, hey, cut it out, cut it out, focus, focus. He's yelling at them saying, get it together. This is not the way it will be destroyed. This is ignorant. It took Babylonian captivity to purge Judah of its idolatry. They returned from Babylon without idols, and no judgment since the Exodus had caused the people to turn from their lifeless idols, but they returned from Babylon with the remnant and the idols that would put them to death. During the interbiblical period, many of them chose to die rather than worshiping idols. Taking that at face value, that's fantastic. Hey, you're turning down those idols? Yes, finally, worship God. But just because they turned them down does not mean they were always faithful. 
They did not worship the false gods, but they were often guilty of false worship of the true God. In other words, they professed their faith in the true God, but they did not obey him. They had all the ceremonies and rituals knocked down. They made sure that they had everything straight, but they neither loved God nor obeyed him. They were doing it purely for appearance. I don't know if you guys have heard the saying, but for all my life, I've heard the saying, Sunday saints, Monday sinners. They made sure that they had everything right on Sunday morning. But as soon as church was over, it's back to the real them. They weren't worried about what God had to say. They weren't worried about God in their life. They were worried about, oh, thank goodness church is over. So they didn't worship the physical idols, but they worshiped the other false gods, just as many Christians do today. This next sentence, everyone's heard. Everyone knows what it is. Thou shall not have other gods before me. The New Testament prohibits idolatry. Paul was inspired to detail the sins of the Gentiles in the first chapter of Romans. In this powerful statement about the folly of idolatry, in the first place, Paul writes in Romans 1, 18-19, For God's wrath is revealed from heavens against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown them. Those verses are saying that God has shown what can be done through his wrath and through his judgment when it comes to idols. So those who worship idols are without excuse. He continues in Romans 1, 22, As a result, people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense, and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of their immoral God for resembling a mortal man, a bird, a four-footed animal, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them in other cravings of their heart to sexual impurity, so their bodies were degraded just as their minds. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship serving something created instead of the creator. Now, if anyone knows anything about Paul, he's going to call you out and tell you how it is. But what one thing we need to realize is he's not just calling them out in his time. That's still a call out for us today. In Acts 17, Paul is telling the people in Athens that they need to shift their focus to the one true living God. Then Paul stood in the middle of Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see you are extremely religious in every respect. For I was passing through, observing your objects of worship, and even found an altar inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. God now commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has set a day on which he is going to judge the world in righteousness. By the man he has appointed, he provided proof of this by raising him from the dead. One thing that a lot of us tend to forget or tend to not think of often is God's law is still in effect today. Christians may not bow down before idols, but we do bow down before the false gods of our time. So one day at Matthew, it's 8 a.m., I'm in the middle of a class, I'm falling asleep because I stayed up super late, I was freshman year, irresponsible as always, so I went to bed probably like 4 a.m., woke up at 7.55, 
got to class at 8.02. That's how it always worked. So one of my professors asked me, he saw I was not paying attention, called me out. He said, Seth, what is idolatry? Me being me, hoping to just get the professor off my back, I said, man, idolatry is how I'm viewing my pillow right now. The class thought that was super funny, and I was like looking around, I was like, yeah, that was good, and then I look at the professor, and it's just blank face, all right? As you can guess, he did not enjoy that too much. So after class, he told me, hey, come to my office, in a very stern voice, where I'm like, ah, oh, darn, because <laughs> my plan was to go back to bed and worship the idol that was my pillow. <laughs> so after class, I went to his office, and we began to talk. We ended up running out of time because he was more upset that I was joking around when I knew what the right answer was. So he invited me over to dinner, and we continued this conversation. At one point, he added that the strict definition would be a worship of idols. That would be idolatry, just the worship of idols. And he asked me, could I expand it to cover everything people do today? Me being me with a plate of chicken enchiladas right in front of me, I went, nope, and I just kept eating. <laughs> but he wanted my opinion. He told me to dive a little bit deeper and actually think about it. So he restated his question, and he said, with the strict definition that idolatry is the worship of idols, what would that cover in today's world? So I thought really hard, and I pointed out the passage in Colossians in which Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to expand the concept of idolatry to cover anything that one places between himself and the Lord. In Colossians 3, 1 through 6, it shows, it says, So if you have been raised with the Messiah, seek what is above, where the Messiah is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on what is above, not is what is on the earth. Therefore, put to death whatever in you is worldly, whether it be sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Idolatry, according to that passage, can be anything, anyone, any thought, any desire, any temptation, any impulse that comes between you and our Heavenly Father. One may make an idol out of a car or a house or even a really cool land, lanyard that you wanted to make. The issue is not what you possess, but it's if that possession possesses you. It's not based off of all that you have. If you have more of, that's an idol. That's not it. You can have a thousand things and still have your eyes focused on God. But if you have that one thing that keeps your attention, that's when it starts to be a problem. Now, I would like for us to take a look at a few of the false gods in Jeremiah's America. Bob Hosletter highlights conditions in a in America in his book entitled American Idols, The Worship of the American Dream. He begins by saying, you love God, you've experienced salvation through faith in Christ, but something is wrong. Something's missing, something is not working, but you are not alone. There are thousands like you, they all fall short, and they are not full of their true potential. And why is that? I've, came to, I've become convinced that often the cause of idolatry is not so much a pagan altar on a hilltop, chant a mantra, light a candle type of deal, but it's usually a more modern form. It's more antiseptic. It's more American. We seldom realize when it happens, but our lives can easily become infected with modern idolatries that 
utterly look harmless, but sometimes even virtuous. So these user-friendly idols, they distract us from our wholehearted, single-minded devotion to God, and they become enemies to our souls. They insert themselves between us and God, they hinder our prayers, they dull our spiritual sensitivity, and they impede on our spiritual growth. Now, if we hear that, and that came on a warning label on everything that could be an idol, we would stay away from it for sure. If you heard, hey, this will impede your spiritual growth, you're like, huh, not that one. But when things seem harmless, we don't realize it. So what are the kind of idols that we can refer to? A lot of us might have the desire to acquire the eBay attitude, which holds that having more will make us happy. Anybody heard the term keeping up with the Jeffersons? All right, cool, a few people. <laughs> so if that is your attitude, if that's your way of saying, you know what, let me go get this thing. Let me make sure that I have it so that way I'm, I'm cool, I'm content. There's the idol of individualism who cries, mine, 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 give it to me, give it to me. The gospel of the me generation. You don't care about anyone else, you just want what you want. Then there's also the microwave mentality, the I want it right now. A microwave is one of my favorite inventions ever made, all right, because when food is cold, I don't want to eat it, but in 30 seconds or 45 seconds, I'm good to go. A lot of times we have that thought with our spirituality. Oh, let me say a quick prayer, and then I can get back to my video games. Oh, let me do this daily devotion, get it out of the way, so that way I can be good to go. But often we forget about the cult of personal experience. Jeremiah's America is very much like Jeremiah's Judah. We could expand this to cover anything that gets between the believer and the Lord. But first, consider the things that God has blessed us with. Things that you can turn around and place in between you and God. Now, is our cell phones a bad thing? No, not at all. They're fun. They're a good way to keep up with family. Since I've moved here to Wilson, I've taken more FaceTime calls than ever before with my family. <laughs> but is school and sports a bad thing? Now, I know some of you guys are thinking, yes, school is terrible. I'm sick of it. Me too, man. <laughs> but these things, in essence, are not bad at all. These are all positive, fun things that we enjoy, but the problem comes when we are putting those between us and our relationship with our Father. The best way to assess the difference is the time split and where your attention goes. Now, we're talking about things that may be well and good. A job is a good thing, but if it gets between oneself and God, it's a false god, it's idolatrous. Vacations are great, unless it is impeding your fellowship and your time with God, then it's a false god. It's idolatrous. One of my friends works at the Pepsi Distilling Company over in Elizabeth City. The workers there could get up to six weeks vacation. And I was like, man, that's a lot. And he goes, yeah, it's great. But he followed up with that very exciting statement with, but I'm very fearful of it. Why would you be fearful of vacation, dog? Just go and have fun. I didn't know what he meant. But then we really started talking and thinking about it. Some people would take one week at a time. They'd load up their van on Friday evening once they get off of work, go all the way until the next week, 
and they return that next Sunday evening. So they're missing two Sundays in that one week. That's 12 Sundays they missed of church during vacation of the year. Those were planned absences. Add in the sleeping ins, the sports tournaments, the golf, the late night overtime college basketball games, the personal illnesses, the grandma surgery that you've got to be at. And at that point, you're missing more services than you are in. But hey, we communed with nature. We saw a really cool half court buzzer beater. Like that's all great, right? We're cool. But we've mentioned the good things that God has blessed us with that we may turn around and place between ourselves and the Lord. Now think of the bad things that may become a false God today. Many television programs aired during what used to be family hours are not fit to be seen anymore, let alone by Christians. And Christians have been going to the movies that will portray nudity and immorality for so long that the Christians who who question it are considered outcasts. Language has gotten increasingly worse with every television season, every episode, every second. Language is continuously getting worse, and we're becoming accustomed to it. More and more movies are not fit for any of us to see. Now, a good work ethic is fantastic to have. But if your job gets in between you and the Lord, it's a false God. Success in business is a great thing. But if you let that business get to your head and that's all you focus on and you can't focus on anything else, that's a false God. Privacy is a great thing. During Mackey, one of my favorite things that I had was a single room because I didn't have to deal with anyone, all right? If I wanted to, I could take a nap. I didn't have to worry about my roommate playing games. If I wanted to play games, I could. I didn't have to worry about my roommate doing homework. It was fantastic. I love my privacy. But if privacy is keeping you out of church, if it's keeping you out of Bible study, if it's keeping you out of worship, witnessing, and fellowshipping with your other believers, then you may be bowing down at the altar of privacy and individualism. Now, it's a great thing to maintain your home. It's fantastic. A lot of people will think, man, clean house, that's what I have to have. If it's dirty, I'm embarrassed, and I just cannot do it. But if you're having lunch on Sundays, and you're always staying back cleaning, make sure your house is in tip-top shape, then you may be bound down to the altar of perception. If it's getting in between you and your time with God, it's a false god. It's idolatrous. Patriotism is a wonderful thing. I am so blessed to live in a country, for one, where I can even be up here and say this, where we can come every Sunday, fellowship with one another. We are truly blessed to be able to have this freedom. But if you put your nation before your God or your politics before your religion, then you might be bowing down before a false God. The list can go on and on, and perhaps there's a lot of false gods that I may have missed that you're thinking, oh, is that one? Maybe you need to confess them right now. There is but only one true living God, and we should worship him, praise him, and reject the false gods of our time. False gods are everywhere today. Just to list a few, it could include gambling, drugs, alcohol, lust, greed, materialism, any kind of various entertainment and recreation, cell phones, microwaves. You keep going. Anything that's going to put you in between your faith and our Heavenly Father is a false God. 
consider the false gods of our time and how they can be affecting you. Now, when I say you, I'm not saying all of you guys because I'm perfect. I also include myself. My daily screen time, I get a notification every Sunday. The highest I had was like nine hours a day one week. And I can guarantee you when that was at nine hours, maybe 30 minutes was in the Bible app. Maybe 20, 15 minutes was on the internet doing research about Bible verses that I didn't understand. A lot of times we will prioritize things that seem harmless without prioritizing God. What we read here in Jeremiah 2.11 is God's message. It's not Jeremiah's opinion. This is God stating, Has a nation exchanged its gods? Yet my people have exchanged their glory for useless idols. Be horrified at this, heavens. Be shocked and utterly appalled, for this is the Lord's declaration. Godly people should be shocked at idolatry anywhere we find it today. But are we? Is there idolatry one there is idolatry one kind or another all around you? But are we shocked by it? Are we horrified? Are we actually appalled? Now I feel pretty confident if someone went right out in the field and they started erecting a statue and worshiping it, all of us would be thrown. I'd be like, whoa, dog, what are you doing? We'd be horrified. But what about when someone spends more time playing games or social media than they ever do thinking about God? Are we scared? What about when someone is constantly focused on work and they don't spend time with their family, nonetheless with God? Are we horrified? Are we then shocked and appalled when we unconventionally worship the false gods of our time more than our Lord? Maybe it's time for all of us to look at the things that we have and say, hey, maybe I should cut out a little bit of that. Maybe I should dive deeper into devotion. Maybe I should really put God first. It's not an easy thing to do. Throughout most of my life, I had been thinking, you know, I think I'm doing pretty good. I think I'm all right. Like I go to church. I know what the Lord's prayer is. I'm set. But once you start looking a little bit deeper, you realize, hey, maybe I spend too much time reading uh, different comic books. Maybe I spend too much time playing video games. Maybe I spend too much time researching the new person that my team drafted. Sometimes we often think, you know what? I just need a break. Let me do something fun. And we don't dive into devotion. We don't pray. We put it on the back burner. And we fall to the gods of our time. For this next week, um, I always like to issue little challenges and everything. For this next week, guys, just try to look, try to say, hey, what am I missing where I could put God in? Instead of having a hole of a false God, fill it up with Christ. Rather than being on your phone eight, nine hours a day, switch over to opening your Bible. Because even if the Bible app is on your phone, sometimes it's still easy to get a notification and get distracted. Fill up our time with God rather than distractions and the false gods of our time. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for allowing me to be up here, Lord. I ask that you be with us as we go throughout our week, Lord, and let this message fall on open hearts and open minds. Thank you for your mercy and your grace, and continue to watch over us and bless us. In thy name I pray, amen.